Chapter 15 of Molly Brown's Junior Days by Nell Speed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Christmas Ghost Story That Was Never Told It was quite dark in the corridor whereon opened the cloister offices. All the teachers had gone away for the holidays, and the place was as ghostly as a deserted monastery. I can't say I like to be here alone on a dark night if it is such a young cloister. It seems to have been born old like some children, Molly thought. She coughed, and the sound reverberated in the arched ceiling and came back to her an empty echo. Pausing at Professor Green's door, she stooped to shove the note underneath, when, to her surprise, the door opened at her touch and swung lightly back. With an exclamation, Molly started back, leaving the note on the floor. Leaning against one of the deep-silled windows, just where the fast-fading light fell across his face, stood a tall, stoop-shouldered man. In the flashing glimpse Molly caught of him before she turned and fled, she noticed that he resembled an old gray eagle with a thin beak of a nose and a worn white face, and that his dark eyes were quite close together. The rest of him was lost in the black shadows of the room. Once out of the ghostly corridor and the heavy oak door shut between her and the strange visitor in the professor's office, Molly paused and took a deep breath. In the name of goodness, she cried, what have I just seen? If he had stirred or blinked an eyelash or even appeared to breathe, I should at least have felt he was human. The big empty hall of the quadrangle seemed a cheerful spot in comparison with the cloister corridor. It was warm and light and from the senior's parlor came the sound of piano playing but Molly never paused to look in and see what belated student was cheering herself with music. Only her own sitting room with its gay holiday decorations and Judy twanging the guitar could recall her to a world of realities. Before she reached the door, she had made up her mind that it would be just as well not to tell the excitable and impressionable Judy anything about the apparition or whatever it was in the professor's study. It was really an act of self-denial, because it would have been decidedly interesting to discuss the episode with Judy. I would have told Nance, she thought. She would have agreed with me. I am sure that it couldn't have been a ghost because, of course, there are no such things. But if I tell Judy, I know perfectly well she will persuade me it was a ghost and will be frightened to death all night. Judy, still wearing her widow's weeds, was singing a doleful ballad when Molly hurried in, called by the bonnie mildoms of binori molly was fond of this ancient song but she was in no mood to listen to it just then the youngest stood upon a sten the eldest came and pushed her in oh sister sister reach your hand and ye shall be heir to half my land oh sister sister reach but your glove and sweet william shall be your love the guitar gave out a mournful twang Talk about impressionable people. I'm worse than she is, thought Molly. I'll shriek aloud if she doesn't stop this minute. Just then, the six o'clock bell boomed out, and Molly did give a loud, nervous exclamation. Judy dropped the guitar on the floor. The strings resounded with a deep, protesting chord, and then subsided into resigned quietude. Molly, what is the matter? You're pale as a ghost. Molly smiled at her own weakness. Having just made up her mind not to tell Judy, she was suddenly possessed with a fever to relate the entire incident from beginning to end. If you'll promise to put on your red dress tonight by way of celebration and to cheer me up, 
I'll tell you a thrilling story, Judy. But I've made a vow, and I can't break it. Did the vow stipulate that you couldn't wear colors Christmas Eve? No, not exactly. Well, then, get into your scarlet frock, because I'll never tell you if you wear that black one, and I'll put on some old gay-colored rag, too, and after supper I'll tell you a thrilling tale. I'll put on the red dress, said Judy, if you promise never to tell Nance, but I can't wait until after supper to hear the story. You'll have to. It's a long tale, and there won't be time to dress and tell it, too. Well, consented Judy, because it's Christmas Eve, the very time to tell thrilling tales if they are true, I'll agree. And obediently she attired herself in the scarlet dress, while Molly put on a blue blouse that, by a happy chance, matched the color of her eyes as perfectly as if they had been cut from the same bolt. Did it really happen to me? she kept thinking, or did I dream it after all? There was no chance to tell Judy the story after supper, because the two girls were summoned to the parlor almost immediately to see three callers, Andy, Dodo Green, and Lawrence Upton. During the visit, Molly seized the opportunity to ask the younger Green where his brother was spending his Christmas. Oh, he's making visits around the county, answered George Theodore carelessly. He always has enough invitations for three, but he was never known to accept any before. I don't know what's got into the old boy this year. He's getting as giddy as a debutante, going to parties and rushing around in motors. I have had to make two trips over to Wellington, first to get his evening clothes because he forgot to pack them, and then for his pumps and dress shirts I forgot myself. When the old boy goes into anything, he always does it in good style. He used to be a kind of dude about ten years ago but he's all the way to 30 now, and he feels his age. Do you notice how bald he's getting? He'll be losing his teeth next. I'm glad he's having such a good time, said Molly, disdaining the aspersions cast by George Theodore on his brother's age. I hope he is well and happy, she added in her thoughts. I am sure I don't begrudge him a jolly Christmas, considering what a jolly one he gave me last year. I am sorry I left the note now. Like as not, he doesn't even remember what I said that day, and when he reads the letter, he won't know what I am talking about. At last the boys left. Judy was intensely relieved. She desired only one thing on earth, to hear Molly's ghost story. All her perceptions were on edge with curiosity, but she was determined to have all things in harmony for the telling of a Christmas Eve ghost story. So she restrained her inquisitiveness until they had slipped on dressing gowns and were both comfortably installed in big chairs with a box of candy and a plate of salted almonds between them. And now begin, she said, sighing comfortably. But Molly had scarcely uttered three words when she was interrupted by the arrival of packages from the late train brought up by the faithful Murphy. Even Judy's unsatisfied curiosity regarding the tale could not hold out against these fascinating boxes, and the story waited while they untied the strings and eagerly tore off the paper wrappings. I suppose we ought to wait until tomorrow morning, but since we're just two lonely little waifs, I think we might gratify ourselves this once, don't you, Molly dear? asked Judy. I certainly do, Molly agreed seeing as it doesn't matter to anybody whether we look at them now or in the morning. It was a long time before they settled down again to the story, and Molly had not advanced a paragraph when there came another tap at the door. 
evidently the quadrangle gates were to be kept open late that night or account of the arrival of holiday packages this time it was a boy from the florists fairly laden with flower boxes andy had sent both the girls violets very sweet and proper of him i'm sure in the absence of nance laughed judy lawrence upton had sent molly a box of american beauties and he could ill afford it the foolish boy ejaculated molly dodo had expended all his savings on a handsome jerusalem cherry tree for judy there was another box for molly it contained violets and two cards miss grace greens and professor edwin greens molly blushed crimson when she read the names for the thousandth time she covered herself with reproaches she sat down and gathered the bouquets into her lap judy she cried contritely what have i done to gain all these kind friends i'm sure i don't deserve it the dears but judy was too much engaged with her own numerous gifts to contradict this self-depreciating statement i am really happy molly she cried even without mamma and papa it's been a lovely christmas eve with one of those divinations which sometimes comes to us like a voice from another land it suddenly occurred to molly that whatever it was in professor green's office whether ghost or human perhaps the professor might not like to have it discussed and she resolved not to tell judy or anyone else what she had seen and then she continued if he ever asks me whether i told it will be a nice comfortable feeling to say i haven't at last having put the flowers back in the boxes and restored some order to the room judy sat down and folded her hands and now go on with the story my dear child so much has happened since then and i'm so weary i don't think i can make it the frightful tale i had intended oh it was all a joke asked judy whose enthusiasm had about spent itself in other outlets oh partly a joke i went down to the cloisters to leave a christmas note for professor green at his office and saw a ghostly looking figure there is that all well anybody might look like a phantom in that gloomy place i've no doubt the ghostly figure took you for another i've no doubt it did answered molly laughing and with that they kissed and went to bed long after midnight molly rose and slipped on her dressing gown creeping out of her room she flitted along the corridor turned the corner and hurried up the other side of the quadrangle at the very end of this hall was a narrow passage with a window which commanded a view of the courtyard and the windows of the cloister studies softly raising the blind she looked out in one of the studies a dim light was burning she counted windows it was professor green's office she was certain while she looked the light went out back to her bed she flew with a feeling that somebody was chasing her there's one thing certain she thought drawing the covers over her head ghosts never need lights end of chapter 15 recording by d r baker robinson